Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The remote wilderness surrounding the park had always held its fair share of mysteries, but the recent string of hiker disappearances had use on edge. As park rangers, it was our duty to protect and serve, and this new threat demanded our immediate attention. The pattern was alarming. All the missing hikers had vanished in the vicinity of a recently discovered unexplored cave. It was a place we knew little about, and its dark allure beckoned us to uncover its secrets. With a mix of curiosity and trepidation, we gathered our gear and ventured into the depths of the unknown. The entrance to the cave was foreboding, its yawning mouth inviting us to step into a world hidden beneath the earth. We cautiously made our way inside, flashlights illuminating the path ahead. As we traversed the labyrinthine tunnels, an unsettling silence settled around us, broken only by the echoes of our footsteps. Suddenly we stumbled upon a hidden network of interconnected chambers. Our beams of light pierced the darkness, revealing a scene that chilled us to the core. A reclusive and cannibalistic group of creatures lurked within these caverns, their grotesque forms a macabre sight. They crouched, their long, skinny arms hanging limply against their sides. Their heads resembled those of emaciated humans, as if they were dying of malnutrition. Their massive chests and prominent rib cages spoke of their hunger and desperation. What we had initially mistaken for white fur turned out to be their sickly white, death-like skin with undertones of gray. Their eyes, half the size of their heads, completely reflected the sunlight, a haunting and overworldly glare. Before we could fully comprehend the horror before us, the creatures lunged at us with savage ferocity. Panic set in as we fought back, 
desperately defending ourselves against their relentless onslaught. It was a harrowing battle for survival within the confines of that dark abyss. Only two of us managed to escape the clutches of those cannibalistic creatures, battered and bloodied. As we stumbled out into the daylight, gasping for breath, the gravity of the situation sank in. We knew that simply retreating wasn't enough. These monsters would continue to prey upon unsuspecting visitors if left unchecked. In our minds, there was only one option. We had to seal that cave forever, eradicating the threat that lurked within. We gathered our remaining strength and resolve to create an improvised bomb, powerful enough to collapse the cave upon itself. It was a risky endeavor, but we saw no other way to protect future hikers from falling victim to those abominations. As we placed the bomb and set the timer, we exchanged a knowing look. We understood that we could never speak of this horror, for who would believe us? With a heavy heart, we pressed the detonator and watched as the cave trembled and crumbled, sealing away the darkness and the creatures forever. As the dust settled and we stood in the aftermath, we vowed to carry this secret to our graves. The park would continue to welcome visitors, unaware of the nightmare that had lurked beneath its serene surface. Two summers ago, as my friend was going home, they saw something tall and broad cross the road about fifty yards in front of their car. From what they said, it had wide shoulders, a narrow waist, and a box-like head. They think the sound of their car caused it to pause. When it did, one of its triangular ears flicked. They slowed down, unsure of what they were seeing. Whatever this was took a few steps and disappeared onto the other side of the road. After telling me this, I went out to the area and took some photos. It's in a somewhat swampy area with trees all around. The road is rather isolated, and the slope along either side is not steep. It's a gradual decline to the water's edge. Deer are plentiful in this area. It sounds very much like my friend saw a dogman, but can't be sure. They said they were in such shock at what they were seeing. They could not provide a lot of detail as to height, weight, etc. This happened very near the Tennessee and Kentucky border. Has anyone else seen anything in the western Tennessee area? So, this is second-hand account coming from a close friend who has given me no reason to doubt them. Main event, February 27th, 2023... My friend was driving home from work and passing down my country road sometime between 5 p.m. and 5.59 p.m., less than a mile from my house, at the end of my township, within 1,000 feet of the closest house. He saw an unknown creature. It was at the edge of the road as if it were about to cross. It was pitch black, very furry, had a bob tail and the face of a pit bull. I could see its jowls. It had dog-like ears, slender but muscular, and was standing on all fours. When it saw me, it paid no attention to me, but slowly turned around and leapt back into the woods. When it leapt, it jumped like a frog. Its legs were turned out just like a frog's. It was appropriately the size of a Great Dane on all fours. He was uncertain if it had humanoid feet and couldn't identify much else. Where he reported to have seen it is in a wooded area right beside a small bayou, and there is a notable nook that leads off into the woods right around where he saw it. The very same night after he saw it, I heard strange noises around midnight, akin to something climbing a wooden structure, thuds, and the sound of wood bowing. Side events, possibly unrelated, Six or so years ago, I saw something strange leap between one section of woods to another, across a highway about a half mile from my home. It was black, hairy, and ape-like at a glimpse. About three years ago, me and my wife heard a tapping on the window behind us around midnight. We laughed about it at first, but my cousin from across the street called me moments after and said there's something big in your yard. I could hear it running through your yard. It's in the woods now. We investigated and heard it rustling through trees, but never saw it. 
The next morning, outside the window that was tapped on was a large humanoid footprint, barefoot. To tap on the glass would require something to stand. Upright, at least five feet minimum, given the lifted foundation. About three years ago, me and a buddy were hanging out, and we saw something strange walk into my cousin's yard across the street. It was large, black, and furry. It walked on all fours and appeared like a pig at first glance. We scoped in on it and couldn't determine what it was. It had a dog-like snout, but the stature and build of a hog. It was about the size of a large hog or perhaps a large bear cub. I don't remember it having a tail. It sniffed around his house, circled it, and went back into the woods. About a year ago, I was driving at night from the far end of my road. There is a curve approximately a half mile from where my friend reported seeing the creature. In the curve, as I banked a bit, my headlights shined into the woods and revealed eye shine about six feet off the ground. I stopped the car next to where the eye shine was to examine it. I didn't see anything else, but the smell of rotting meat flooded the car, and I promptly left. About a year ago, I was outside around midnight when I heard a strange noise in my cousin's yard. I shined a flashlight over there and caught some eye shine at average height from the ground. It looked at me and kept walking into the wood line. In my experience, if you spotlight something and can see its eye shine, they stop and stare at you. This thing kept going, but watched me the whole time. I continued to shine into the wood line for a bit longer, and it returned about 15 feet down the wood line. It stared at me from within the woods and turned around. I continued to shine my light and caught it one more time in the same place as the second encounter. It looked at me for a moment and turned away. I didn't see the eyes shine again. At the time, I had an eerie feeling that it seemed to sentient to be a deer or a hog. Maybe a big cat, but no normal woodland critter from around here. Bonus event, probably unrelated. For the past two weeks, my entire property has reeked of skunk. Our house gets sprayed from time to time by local skunks. But the smell usually dissipates after two days. This time, it's almost been two weeks, and smell is pungent, even out on the road by my house. My home seems to be the epicenter, but the smell extends around 100 yards around my home, in all directions. All of these instances were just strange coincidences until my friend saw this creature yesterday. Now, I'm not ruling them out as possible encounters with this creature. Any and all guesses as to the nature of this creature are appreciated. I was in a hotel in Italy once. I went there all alone, and the first night I tried to sleep in my room, something started happening. As I was laying in bed and slowly falling asleep, someone would knock at my door. It knocked, and I heard the voice of my mom saying, C.R., open the door. I looked up against the door in fear and thought, no way that can't be my mom because she wasn't in Italy at all. I was shocked, but I tried to go back asleep without responding or standing up. So it starts knocking again, and I look up at the door again. Sayur opened the door, my mom, with a very sad voice. It was frightening, and my heart would pump. I decided to stand up and walk slowly to the door. There was a peephole in that door, and I watched through. Across the hallway, I saw this black figure with a black hat, just standing still in the shadow and watching me, no face to be recognized. I stepped slowly back and went back to bed. Much more things would follow before I finally fell asleep. But when I woke up in the morning and walked to the door, I would realize that there was no peephole in that door at all. I was freaked out because I was 100%. Sure that I was awake when all those things happened last night. This was out in rural Kansas, and I was with a group of friends. I wasn't from that area and was only visiting, so they wanted to show me the sights of the area. They were from a small town, surrounded by even more rural and small towns, so they often explored the area looking for ways to pass the time. 
It was late at night, and we were cruising down a highway, passing names of towns that probably wouldn't even show up on a map. They were taking me to this abandoned house they'd found a while ago that they liked to explore, and they admitted it was creepy. So, of course, we went to the house. I remember them taking us off the highway down a dirt road and parking in the ditch. Luckily, the abandoned house wasn't too far back from the road, and we reached it quickly. We were all using our phones as flashlights, and when we got up to the house, I truly didn't think too much of it. Maybe I was feeling braver than I actually was, but being with a big group of mostly guys who had been there before, I felt pretty safe. We all stepped inside the house, and I was a little spooked by now, and mostly praying the floor didn't collapse under our weight. We stayed on the first floor and looked around. It really wasn't much, just an abandoned living room. One of the guys told me that during the daylight they had gone into the basement and was trying to see if we were all brave enough to go in the dark. I instantly noped, but a few guys were up for it. Myself and the only other girl in the group stood back as we watched the guys descend down the stairwell. They hadn't even made it all the way down when, from across the room, we heard knocking. All of a sudden, everyone is screaming and running back to the car. When we were back in the safety of the vehicle, the guy who was closest to that side of the house when the knocking started said it had come up from under his feet. Maybe it was squatters. Maybe it was a demonic entity. Ick, but I'm never going back in an abandoned building. My brother and I were standing outside my home at around 8 p.m. in Texas. Already dark, winter, when I noticed something off in the distance above my brother's shoulder. It looked like it was flying over downtown Dallas, but it was hard to be sure how far it really was because it was just a bunch of dull white dots arranged in a triangle. I must have had a confused look on my gave as I tried to figure out what it was because my brother said what and turned around. He saw it too and we both just stood there as it flew closer and then the scale of it became impossibly huge for it to be an aircraft. I said to my brother, Is it birds? But no response as it flew over us. The dull white dots never gained any more detail as it went right over us. It then sped up. It had taken a good 30 seconds to get to us, but only took about five to zip away so far that it disappeared. Also, when it flew over us, all ambient sound disappeared. No bugs, dogs, barking, highway noise. All gone. It sounded like I was in a sound booth when I asked my brother, is it birds? We went inside and told family what we saw. They just said, that's weird, basically. My brother said he didn't hear me ask about any birds. Weird. I had always been drawn to the mountains, and the view from the top of Saddles Mountain was one of the most beautiful sights I had ever seen. So, when I had the chance to climb it again, I couldn't resist. I knew I was cutting it close as I made my way back down the mountain. It was almost dark, and I still had a long way to go to get back to the campground. But I didn't want to rush the climb. I wanted to savor every moment of the beautiful sunset. As I was driving down the road, I had a bump and the car went off the road. I was shaken up, but thankfully not hurt. However, I knew I couldn't stay there. I was still a ways away from the campground and it was too dangerous to try to drive in the dark. So I started walking. At first, it wasn't too bad. I had a flashlight and I was making good time. But then I heard it, a distant, eerie scream. It sent shivers down my spine. I tried to shake it off, telling myself it was just an animal. But then the screams got closer, and I knew something was following me. I couldn't see anything in the dark, but I could feel it getting closer and closer. I started to run, my heart pounding in my chest. The screams were getting louder, and I knew I had to get out of there. I hiked to the highway, looking for help, and swore never to be in that area again, after dark. To this day, I don't know what made those screams. But I know they weren't just my imagination. There are some things in this world that we may never understand. And that's okay. But I will never forget the terror I felt that night. And I will never go back to Saddles Mountain after dark.
My family and I stayed in an old house from a distant aunt when we visited Garamaranga, Brazil. The main room in the house was filled with religious figurines, and I mean filled. There were about 50 different statues in there. Most of them represented Catholic faith, but I couldn't recognize the few others. There were also pictures in the walls of people that looked like they were dead. When I told her about it, my therapist said it was tradition in some rural places to take a photo of a deceased loved one before they were buried. So I guess that explained that. We found our rooms, and we noticed that one door didn't open at first. A few days later, though, we were very curious, so we pushed hard against it. And when the door slammed open, we found a room that had five mirrors positioned in the center and a wardrobe. When we opened it, we found it was completely filled with a metric F-ton of hair of different colors. Needless to say, we closed that door and never opened it again. The last weird thing about that house was when I was sleeping in the same room as my parents. I was about ten and I woke up in the middle of the night to what looked like a person holding a weak flashlight pointed at us in the corner of our room. I got really scared and eventually started crying. My parents woke up from my whimpering, and they turned on the lights to see if I was okay. When I looked again, there was no one in our room. When I was between five and nine, I lived in a pretty big house built in the fifties, the smallest bedroom. I am the youngest of four, at the end of a hallway. My room had a tiny balcony. Many nights I would wake up with the this of an object falling from a shelf to the floor. When I opened my eyes, I soon learned not to just stay under my blanket and pray it away. I would see a dark shadow back up slowly onto the balcony, stay there for a few seconds, then kind of swoop away over it. This presence ranks low on the creepy scale. When I was about 14, I was at a friend's house and her cousins were visiting. They decided to break out the Awaja board. I was terrified, so I went to the next room to watch cartoons with her little brother. After a while, I hear a screech, and soon enough, they all come stumbling in on us. An older cousin cracks up and confesses that she blew out the candle to give everyone the creeps. And then they tell me that a presence had made itself known, but that it didn't want to answer questions. It kept on asking, where's Acacia? No one from there knew this, but that was my secret username for chat rooms and a secret diary. Back in 1998, I was into vampires. I almost puked, but since I didn't see or feel anything, this one also thanks low on the creepy scale. At university, 2003, I had a very cute room in a shared apartment. It had a mezzanine where my bed and closet was. From day one, I did everything I could to make it feel cozy, but I had a feeling in the pit of my stomach very often. At night, it wasn't uncommon for me to hear pages flipping through my study book slowly at the rate a person would actually read it. At first, I just freaked out in my bed, without daring to look down, praying it away or listening to music on my headphones. Then one day, I followed advice and just said very loudly and firmly, go away, and it stopped. I fell asleep, reassured that I found a solution to the studious spirit situation. A few weeks later, one night I was violently woken up with a feeling of someone sort of yanking, pulling at my lower limbs, surrounded in what I can only describe as a translucent purple-eye haze that made a like a crackling, swooshing, static sound. I couldn't shake it off, and I was having a hard time yelling as if it was a nightmare, but my eyes were wide open, and I was struggling to free myself from an external pressure that felt like I was toothpaste being squeezed out from a tube. I finished managed to say stop, please, stop, and it all of a sudden did. This felt like it lasted forever, but it was barely a few seconds. That was by far the scariest one. Last one, I was in Chicago, staying in a very old, beautiful house. Not creepy at all. On my second night there, I woke up feeling a pressure pushing down on my back and shoulders like two warm, gloved hands. It didn't startle me awake, and it didn't feel malignant, but it did scare the bejesus out of me when I woke up and realized I was alone in there and that no one could have done that. 
Not sure these are scary to readers, but they did have a huge impact on my belief system, nightmares, and how I enter an unknown house. My grandfather was a medium when he was very young, late teens, early twenties, for a few years until a priest told him it was better not to connect both realms. On August 29, 2009, I was fishing from a boat with my son on Racetown Lake, Pennsylvania. It was around 6.45 p.m., and we were making our way back to the landing. We were near the Snydertown portion of the lake, where there is a point of land. As we were heading south, I looked toward the west shore after my son started to point at something. I really have no idea what this thing was, but it looked like a large, thick, black snake, with a huge head that bobbed in and out of the water. I moved a little bit closer, but my son was getting scared. So I cut the motor and looked through my binoculars. The body was moving in coils or humps up and down in the water. The creature had no fins like a fish, and the head was diamond. Shape. The weirdest feature was that the eyes, which were dark, somewhat small, and slanted, were not set on the side of the head, but placed forward. I got an excellent look through the binoculars. I'd say it was about 50 yards from us. When it raised up, its head moved side to side. It made no sound. I'd say it was at least 20 feet long. I have lived in Altoona, Pennsylvania for only a few years, and this is only the second time I have fished this lake. I'm from Wisconsin, and have fished many large lakes and rivers, but I have never seen anything this big. We watched for about two, three minutes until it slipped under the surface. My son's description was very similar to mine, but he said he noticed lighter, colored whiskers or rays on the chin and face while looking through the binoculars. I had tried to take a photo with my cell phone, but it just blended in with the water and was not discernible. This is nuts. My friends think we saw a large fish or mammal, but there is no way it's either. Please give me some guidance or resources to help identify this. I am skeptical of monsters, ghosts, UFOs, etc., and don't buy into much of what people describe on TV. But now that I have seen something that I can't explain, let's say I'm confused and frustrated. I was visiting my grandparents last week and I stayed a night. They have two guest rooms upstairs that no one ever sleeps in and they never go up there. The two rooms are connected by one straight hallway, and there are two doors in the hallway. One will lead you down the stairs, and the other is the bathroom. Well, I always sleep in the same bedroom when I visit because the bed is very comfortable and the bed in the other room is very squeaky. The upstairs act is a window unit located in the room with a squeaky bed, so I always go in there to turn it on. And then I leave the bedroom doors open, so my room gets cold as well. So anyways, I was laying in my bed, couldn't really sleep, when I heard the bed down the hall start squeaking. It sounded like someone was jumping on it. It was very loud. I got up, and it was pitch black, couldn't see a thing. I walked to the doorway of my room and said hello. Instantly, the squeaking stopped, and I turned the lights on and went in the room. The bed was a mess. It wasn't when I was in there about two hours before, and no one had been in there. My grandfather's is a minister, and I'm not sure what his beliefs are on ghosts or spirits. He has lived in that house for almost 30 years. I did not tell them what happened in fear they would think I was crazy. Lo, I just made the bed the next morning. I'll share a story that a buddy of mine, who was also on the fire department with me, experienced something similar to what you and your mom went through. His encounter was even more unsettling. He described encountering a figure that had no face and possessed a blue-gray complexion. Strangely, he couldn't determine the gender of the entity, but he had a strong feeling that it was a she. When the figure turned towards him, he heard a piercing scream, but his child, who was asleep in the back, remained undisturbed. It seemed as though only he could hear it. As she pointed in his direction, my friend was about five feet away from her, or maybe he started further away and unknowingly moved closer. 
A few days later, we received a call for an unattended death. Upon arriving at the scene, we discovered that the deceased woman was wearing the same clothing as the figure my friend had encountered. She was dressed in baggy yellow pants and a bright blue shirt that had an unusual design, one rarely seen. The sight sent my buddy into a state of panic, and he had to retreat and wait by the truck. When the medical examiner arrived, they carefully handled the body, and it was during the process of rolling her over that we made a shocking realization. The woman had a nylon stocking placed over her face, further heightening the eerie connection between her and the figure my friend had encountered. The incident left us all shaken, contemplating the strange links between the supernatural encounter and the tragic death. It's one of those experiences that leaves you with more questions than answers, and it's something that we still discuss amongst ourselves, trying to make sense of it all. My dad's found deer corpses totally shredded on his 17 acres in Indiana. Once or twice, we found the skulls, antlers, and skin and hooves left in a pile, but no bones or meat. Our dogs used to play with the random, empty corpses. Sometimes a blood trail just ends out of nowhere in the middle of a clearing, or a deer will jump past a tree in sight and just disappear. Doesn't show up on the other side of the tree. My dad was worried for a long time that his crazy neighbors were hunting on his land, but he hasn't found any other evidence. Also, my brother and I once went into a state park we lived in here in Ohio. Like 10, 15 minutes into the woods, we realized the floor of the forest was crunching beneath our feet. There were thousands and thousands of small animal skeletons, mice and squirrels and moles, and even a couple coons and possums, their bones just scattered in a layer on the ground. We also found a large, circular, sunken-down concrete thing in a pit that was surrounded by rusty barbed wire fencing with a sign that said, United States Government Property, do not trespass under penalty of law. There's some weird-ass shit in the woods around here. This happened when I was a freshman in high school on Halloween night. My friends and I weren't quite at the point in high school where we would have any sort of Halloween party to go to, and we were too cool to go trick-or-treating, of course. We were a tight-knit group of five girls. We had grown up together since we were babies, and we lived in a rural town outside of city limits. To set the scene, this is a very remote, woodsy area. One of friends, let's call her Tina, Parents raised chickens and had about 50 acres filled with chicken houses, which we would explore on our four-wheeler after school, often. The build-up to this night was filled with adrenaline and methodical planning. In a small town, one of the more thrill-seeking activities to do was what we call rolling yards. If you're not from a southern or rural area, this is basically throwing rolls of toilet paper up into trees so that streams of toilet paper hang down. Classic prank, rolling yards. Had a crush on a guy from class, rolling yards. Girl drama, revenge, rolling yards. It's hard to explain the kind of adrenaline that you get sneaking down a rural two-lane road in the pitch black turning down a long gravel driveway, threatening the group's lives if they make a sound. If you get caught, your parents find out, and maybe worse, you're stuck cleaning up the mess the next day. So my friends and I had decided the two weeks prior to this night that we were going to go on a Halloween rampage, and specifically, we were going to roll the creepy house right down the rural road my friend Tina lived on. This house had been a big scare story between my friends and I for years. We would go on afternoon walks after school and pass by it often. No one ever came in or out of the house, but Tana's parents told us that a man lived there that was a bit of a creep. She gave a strict warning to stay away from the area. Looking back, Tina's mom worked in law enforcement, and she probably had much more sinister reasons for us to stay away than she told us at the time, of course. The night would go as such. 
Tina's older sister, Beth, who was 17 at the time, would drive us to the local Walmart after Tina's mom and dad went to bed. Beth was the kind of cool older sister who was in on our shenanigans and thought it was fun to chaperone us when we were doing crazy things. All five of us loaded up in the back seat of Beth's car, piling onto each other's laps blaring our favorite 2000s hip-hop songs and flying down the two-lane curvy road, a scary thought in of itself. At this point in my life, but nothing happened, thank the Lord. We parked in the near-empty parking lot of the store around 11.30 p.m. and made our way towards the toilet paper aisle, hyped up on pure adrenaline. We filled two shopping carts completely full of the 99-cent rolls of toilet paper, snickering to ourselves as the clerk eyed us suspiciously while checking us out. We ran giddy back to Beth's car, popped the trunk, and threw the loads of toilet paper into the trunk. On the way back towards Tina's town, out of city limits, we turned down the music to discuss the play-by-play of the attack. Beth would park down a dirt road that led to some cow pastures about a mile from the man's. We will call him Mr. Sims' driveway to wait on us. The five of us would split up into teams, walking along the edge of the woods by the road quietly, in the event that a car would pass so that we could drop to the ground and hide. We filled our arms full of rolls of toilet paper and headed toward the long gravel driveway of Mr. Sims the adrenaline practically beating out of my eardrums, the crickets in the background screeching in synchronicity. I haven't written in a while. Enjoy my descriptive details as I am reliving this experience vividly while writing this log. We make about ten yards from the entrance of the driveway and unload the toilet paper we had carried, then quietly made our way back towards Beth's trunk to get the next load of toilet paper. Once all the toilet paper was piled into our checkpoint location at the edge of the woods by the entrance, we each grabbed four rolls and went into the woods along each side of the gravel driveway to creep towards the house, all whispering to each other to shut up, shut, dude, shut up, we're going to get caught if you don't stop, etc. We finally see the faint light coming from the side of the house by Mr. Sims's garage, and it was the most terrified I'd ever been. Not only was the house 1,000% creepier in this moment than when we walked past it during the day, but the thought of getting caught by the man we were specifically told to stay away from was nauseating. Tina, the bravest and most rambunctious of the bunch, decides to make a Beth line towards the garage while walking through the edge of the woods, and we watched her in pure shock. She stood near the woods peeking out and motioned for us to make our move confirming that no lights in the house were on and Mr. Sims was 99% likely asleep inside. I stood, frozen, scared I would pee my pants if I moved, but was ushered along by another girl who pointed to a tall oak tree at the very front of Mr. Sims's house, which was the worst location imaginable. I decided my teammates were worth it, and I ripped open a pack of toilet paper and hurled it up towards the sky towards the highest branch on the tree, watching the stream of white paper fly down and catch the wind. Soon, streams of white were falling out of every tree surrounding the house, and we were getting very cocky and even more fearless the longer we attacked. All of a sudden, my friend Tina stopped dead in her tracks and made a loud hush noise. I stopped hiding behind a tree my heart literally in my throat, as I now saw what looked like lights turning on from inside the house, out of the corner of my eye. Tina then whisper, yelled run, and we dropped our remaining rolls of toilet paper and began running in the pitch-black dark into the woods. Another girl in the group tripped and fell on a branch behind me, and I turned to help her up when I heard it. Several gunshots rang loudly from near the house, and Mr. Sims was yelling maniacally into the woods. You assholes think you are funny. Not so funny when I find you. We kept running, all crying, wheezing from the adrenaline and speed in the night towards the entrance of the driveway. When we were about to reach the entrance, we heard something even worse than gunshots. The sound of diesel truck engine coming down the gravel driveway slowly. 
We quickly went as deep into the woods as we could without notifying him we were hiding and stood silently with our hands over our mouths as not to make a noise. Mr. Sims stopped his truck about 30 yards away and turned off his engine. It was totally silent. I could see him from where I stood, and he had a shotgun over his shoulder as he walked towards the opposite side of the driveway, clearly looking and listening intently. In that moment, I truly thought we were going to be found and killed. No one except for Beth knew where we were. Our parents were all asleep. She was a mile down the road, oblivious in her car. I was trying desperately not to cry and sniffle in the silence. When I saw Mr. Sims's shadow raising his shotgun into the air and firing around, I began to feel faint, truly thinking I was about to pass out from fear when I see car lights just up the road from the driveway. Panicking, I wondered if the lights would illuminate us in the woods and give us away, but the car seemed to slow down, and I realized it was Beth. Beth rolled down her window and was talking loudly from her open car window, giving what I assumed were the police the address of Mr. Sims's house. This made him angry, and he yelled and ran towards her car for a moment, then backed away, cursing loudly and waving his gun into the air. As soon as Mr. Sims began driving his truck back down the driveway towards his house, we sprinted full speed towards Beth's car and got in. We were crying hysterically. Unable to speak, sweat pouring down us. No one said a word. We cried all the way back to Tina's house, showered, and I could hear sniffles and crying all throughout the night into the morning. No one said a word about it to Tina or Beth's parents. No one even spoke about it amongst each other for years. We never went rolling again, to say the least. What had begun as a childish prank turned out to be one of the most horrifying experiences of my teenage years. Because we lived in the middle of nowhere, and we had technically been vandalizing someone's yard. Beth told us about a week later that she had faked the call with 911. It's still shocking to think about. All I can say is we got lucky that night. Some angel somewhere was watching out for us. Looking back, Beth should have actually called 911. We were naive kids who were more afraid of getting in trouble than realizing how at risk we were of being hurted or killed. Mr. Sims, I don't know why you became so angry and violent seeing toilet paper in your trees, but I hope I never see you again. So let me tell you about this interesting experience I had. I've been feeling down the past couple of days. I managed to snag an old PSE bow for a mere $40, hoping to learn archery and eventually get into bow hunting. I've been working on getting it set up perfectly, but then I noticed some cracks on the lower limb. It broke my heart because it looks like I'll have to wait until around this time next year to afford a real bow for learning and hunting. I had my hopes up about venturing into bow hunting and leaving behind my firearm. So yeah, I, I was pretty bummed. I'll admit, I've been moping around a bit since I discovered those cracks. So last night something happened that changed my mood. I woke up at 2.14 a.m. to an unfamiliar sound. My dog was lying at the foot of my bed and I could see the cat perched on the windowsill. I quietly reached for my pistol and flashlight, always kept nearby, of course, and held my breath, waiting for another noise. Tink, 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 it came from the kitchen. I cautiously got out of bed and employed my low-light building clearing tactics as I made my way to the kitchen, not knowing what to expect but fully anticipating something out of the ordinary. Yet there was nothing. I slowly and quietly checked the rest of the house but found no signs of trouble. I decided to step outside and walked around the perimeter of the house. Man, was it freezing out there? But I didn't notice anything amiss. I went back inside and gave the house one final sweep before returning to bed. I woke up again at 4 a.m. to get ready for work. Before leaving, I went to retrieve my lunch from the fridge and noticed that the magnets on the door had formed the shape of an eye with the pictures they were holding up now lying on the floor. They weren't like that a few hours earlier. It seems like she's still watching over me, and that brought a smile to my face. I'm still disappointed about not being able to practice with a bow, but my mood is lifted. 
I'm in no way, shape, or form a hunter. However, growing up in Philly with a wooded creek behind our roadblock, my brother and I were always forbidden to play anywhere near there and not even think about going down there. So as any little good children do, one boring summer day, we smelled smoke and heard noises and decided we were the best detectives to snoop it out. After minutes of walking farther into a thicker brush, we finally saw the source of smoke as we saw two men walking away from a burning car fire. It wasn't until a few years later after dinner overhearing the adults talking about that poor unidentified little girl's remains found in a burnt skeleton of a car years ago in those woods. My brother and I, then twelve and fourteen years old, looked at each other wide-eyed and jaws dropped as we put two and two together to realize it was most definitely what we had stumbled upon in the woods that day. And if we had been older or smarter or unafraid of getting whooped for going down there in the first place, the murderers could have been caught, and even maybe that little girl could have been saved. But looking back, I realized more than likely she was already deceased before the fire. When I visit my family's rural house in the boonies of Tennessee, I take my shotgun every time. In the back is a high-walled, fenced-in area for my dogs to surround in during the day and sleep at night since they get filthy. One night I wake up to the sounds for barking that I could tell was my dogs fearing something pretty badly. I grabbed the shotgun and went outside and fired off two of my confetti rounds in the direction of the fenced-in area, and I see this massive Bigfoot take off. The dogs slept as close to me as they could get that night. This is an encounter that my mother and my uncle experienced as kids in the 1970s in Tijuana, Mexico. When I was younger, my mom and my uncle would tell this story to us, and I always thought it was a ghost story. But recently, I've been thinking it was an encounter. Please let me know if you had a similar experience, and if you believe their story was an encounter as well. My mom lived with her older sister, older brother, and mom in a very old apartment complex. The complex was owned by my mother's aunt, but my grandma would run it to make money. The apartment complex was pretty large, and the one only bathroom they had was pretty far away from where they would sleep. My grandma took over a couple of the rooms on one side of the complex since they weren't being rented. They were around three, four rooms, and they were being used as storage. One room was a bedroom, and my mom couldn't recall what the other rooms had. In the actual apartment that was next to those rooms, they had a kitchen, a TV, and a room where they all slept together. Because the building was pretty old, most of the rooms didn't have light, but the actual apartment did. Since the bathroom was really far, my grandma would have my mom and her brother bring in a urine bucket at night. But since back then there was barely any lights, the nights would be very dark, and it would make my uncle and mom super nervous. They would have to carry with them a cable light with them. So then one night, again, my grandma forced them to go get the pee bucket, and they both nervously hurried to go get it while carrying the cable light. They got the bucket out the room, and as they were heading back, my uncle noticed a firelight in the patio and immediately shields my mom and starts shaking. My mom, confused, tries to see what it is. The way she described it is like a fire-like projection, but not red more like a whiter fire. They both run to try to go back to the main apartment, but their older sister, to mess with them, locked the door and wouldn't let them in. My uncle, out of fear, takes off leaving my mom behind. My mom was so scared and peed herself. Out shock and fear, she falls to the floor and observed a shadow creature running out the light. She described this creature around a kid's size. She noticed its eyes, but it said, Although they were bigger, they weren't exaggerated. Just bigger for the color, she said it was like a grayish, translucent color. My uncle, as he was running out trips over a stair, and then watched the shadow run out until it disappears. Once my mom's sister finally lets them in, they couldn't stop crying. They couldn't sleep or talk. They were traumatized for years. My grandma would try to make them explain. 
Other people believe that my grandma needed to dig a hole on the patio because the shadowy creature might let them know there's a treasure. My grandma believed that if she dig a hole, she would find something bad. So that's it happened. For a while, my mom and her brother weren't the same. And then when they finally were able to talk about it, my mom realized it wasn't her imagination. I think this story is really interesting because usually an experience like this happens to one person. But two kids, perhaps they really did see that shadowy gray light creature. I've been employed at a few different state parks around the country, but for the past 10 years, I had been a park ranger at Shenandoah National Park in Virginia. I just retired this past fall, but I do miss a lot of things about my work a lot. Last spring of 2020, two-something happened that I wasn't prepared for at all. I've always been attuned to the sights and sounds around me, and though I'm cautious, I've rarely been afraid of much out there. The summer before last, 2021, we had a remarkably calm season. There were hardly any animals we had to deal with, and it seemed the bears and other pests were leaving everyone alone. In April 2022, people started to hear noises around their campsites very late at night. These noises would drive their dogs insane, but nobody had really seen anything unusual. It kind of felt like whatever it was was probing and checking out the area nightly, but it was staying far enough away that we couldn't see it with our spotlights. Then one night when I was walking back to my quarters, I started feeling a profound sense of dread and unease. There was the most creepy, malevolent feeling in the air. I looked around and scanned the tree line before looping toward my door. I scanned the area from left to right and from my fire pit to the table. About 20 feet behind the table, I saw a naked, extremely pale, almost gray figure. There was this big boulder behind it, so it was kind of blending in and not easy to see. If I hadn't purposely been scanning the area, I wouldn't have noticed it. The thing had this humanoid quality to it, and it was very lanky and standing still. It was directly facing me. Then our eyes met, and I felt my heart drop. I just went cold. I probably only stared at it for a few seconds, but it felt like several minutes while my brain was trying to process what I was seeing. It stood between five and six feet tall, and the shoulders were low and slumped. The body was frail and thin. It was crouched down on all fours. I couldn't make out many details of the face beyond its large black eyes, but its mouth seemed to be open and making strange clicking sounds. It's hard to describe. The fear and shock that came over me was terrifying, and I couldn't think rationally at all. I slowly pulled my phone out of my pocket, and I snapped a photo that seemed to startle it. I watched it jump up onto the massive rock and then climb the tree next to it. The speed it exhibited was astounding. I ran like my life depended on it the rest of the way to my door. I grabbed my shotgun and loaded it and aimed it at the door. I sat there with my heart hammering waiting for the doorknob to turn or the window glass to break. I even called for backup. I sat there and waited for what seemed like hours for two of my colleagues to show up. I must have sounded like a blithering idiot trying to describe what I had seen and what happened. I was usually really calm and collected, which is probably what made them believe me. The three of us were all armed and we went out together to look for it. We stayed out into the early morning, expecting to see or hear something, but we never did. Eventually, at around 4 a.m., we lowered our guard and went into my cabin to try to get some. Sleep. The next morning, I could hardly believe what I had seen the night before. I kept obsessively searching the area in the daylight to see if there were any shapes or items that I could have mistaken for the creature, but the only things around were my typical campsite things. I really, really wished that there could be another witness for validation. I had to make my report, but I had so little substance that I felt a bit ridiculous. I mean, there were no sightings by anybody else, and no one had been harmed. There were only the strange noises that people and dogs had been hearing in my one sighting. So, what could I really say? The photo that I had taken was dark and grainy, and you could barely make out the rock, let alone the creature. 
I kept watch again that night to see if I could spot anything, but there was nothing. The thought that this thing could be out there observing us was really unnerving. It was also really hard to want to warn people, but not really have anything concrete to say to them. I attempted to have the photo analyzed by several professionals, but the pixelization and darkness made the photo useless. I work in IAT, and a couple days a month I have to work late after everyone else has left the office because I am running jobs that cannot take place while users are in the system. The important thing to take away from this is that most nights the entire office is completely empty, but twice a month, one person is in there working late. Most of the time on these late nights, I just stay in the server room because there is a security door with a door code, and I hate going in and out as it requires me to punch in the code every time. It's just easier to stay in there and run everything from in there. So, somewhere during this time period, the cleaning crew that had been performing janitorial services in my building lost the contract and a new company stepped in. The old cleaning crew knew me, had bumped into me numerous times, and had a rough idea of when to expect me. Not generally a problem. I didn't realize there was a new cleaning crew, and apparently no one thought to warn them about my weird shift. So anyway, this woman is cleaning what she thinks is an empty office. Little does she know that I'm actually in the server room at the same time. Late in the night, around midnight, I have to wait for one job to finish before I can star the next. So I decided to do some cleaning up. A former co-worker recently retired. Nice guy. Really friendly. But he was also a pack rat. He worked there for over 20 years and never threw anything away. Empty boxes, obsolete calendars, and OLCDs littered the place. Now that he was gone, we were trying to get rid of a couple decades of useless debris. I grab an armful of empty boxes, step out of the server room, go around the corner where we keep a card for recycling, and dump the boxes in. The cart was empty, so I knew the cleaning crew had already been through. Not a problem, just an observation. I go back into the server room. Apparently the cleaning woman came back about that time and saw that the cart she had just unloaded was now overflowing with boxes again. She apparently called out to see if anyone was around, but, well, server rooms are loud. I never heard her. She turns off the lights in the office and starts doing a runner for the door. She goes down the hall and into the break room to head out the exit that way. The lights come back on behind her. She goes back into the hallway, and the office is empty again. Even more boxes are in the cart. Yes, I'd gone back into the server room by the time she got back. She turns off the lights again and bolts for the exit. She's now outside the office and heading for the elevators. The reception area has glass doors, and she sees lights turn back on again. Now, the entire time this is happening, she is never there when I come out of the server room. I know that the cleaning person must have turned out the lights, but I don't see anyone and I'm turning them back on because it is almost pitch black in the office and I don't want to trip over anything. I'm not playing mind games. Just each time I think I just missed them and they've already left. The cleaning woman by now is creeping back in the office trying to figure out what is going on. She's tiptoeing down the hallway when finally we're both in the hallway at the same time. She apparently didn't realize what the server room was or something. She certainly didn't realize there was room in there for someone to be working. She's looking down this dark hallway and I round the corner. Apparently from where she was, it was like seeing a silhouette of a man just appear. One moment the hallway is empty and the next there is someone standing there facing her. I don't realize she's there as once more. I'm carrying out trash. I hear a panicked shout and look up to see this stranger in the office retreating in terror. Fortunately, she calmed down enough to ask me who I was. I think seeing a guy wearing a polo shirt and carrying loose garbage must have been more reassuring than, say, a prison jumpsuit while carrying a mache. You scared me, she said. Her scared. I was the one who just got screamed at. Anyway, I had to show here where the server room door was and where I'd been lurking all night. 
Since then, we've crossed paths a few times when I've been working late, and she now knows my name and that, yes, I'm supposed to be there. More to the point, if funny things are happening, when your back is turned and look through the window into the server room to see if someone is in there. Me and a friend took a charter to the Cortez Bank for a spearfishing trip. We get there in the morning and jump into the ocean with our guns, etc. Immediately the current grabs us and starts dragging us away from the ship. This is early morning, 80 miles out to sea, and there's fog. We start making drops and looking for the pelagics, not seeing much. We start to look for the boat and try and figure a new plan of attack. Nothing around us but fog. You can hear the boat, but only fog. And there was a little bit of swell, so you would go up, then down and think you'd see something. But nope. I began panic mode, but I know that if you panic in the ocean, you're done. I put my head down and started kicking toward where I heard the sound of the boat. Head up, nothing. Keep kicking, hoping to see it. All the while being circled by huge schools of bait, and I could see the bottom. If I made some drops, I probably could have seen some yellowtail or maybe even tuna. Nope, keep kicking until you see the boat. Finally, a swell pushes me up high enough and I see the faint outline of the boat. Kicked hard until I got close. Then finally aboard. Eventually, the fog cleared, and it was obvious you could see pretty far, but at the time, in the middle of the Pacific, with no boat in sight, I went into survival mode. I waited half hour, then jumped back in, but this time, made sure I could see the boat at all times. 